episode three. Hey everyone, welcome to podcast number three of the Looking Around the Corner podcast series. Today is a special treat. I actually have a real life rocket scientist on the show. I don't know any of the rocket scientists in my life, but I want to introduce Dr. Camille Aline. She, uh, she has an unbelievably long list of accomplishments, but um, I, I could briefly tell you that she is a rocket scientist at NASA for the last, I think, 25 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she, is, uh, she holds a PhD in, I, I can't, there's so many things she actually holds a degree in. It's quite Education amazing. Educational leadership, actually. Yes, and educational leadership, and she has a Master of Science from Air, of Aerospace Engineering a Master of Science in Mechanical Engineering, and a bachelor's also in the same field. Um, she is a strong proponent of uh, global STEM education for girls, and she also has a foundation, which we'll talk about uh, during our discussion. Um, I actually met Camille on the Clubhouse app, which is, has, has really caught on fire for a lot of people, and we were in a room for like asteroid mining or something like that. Is, you know, we're all space geeks, you know, in, the, in these rooms. So I'm very fortunate to, to have Camille on. And her story is amazing. Uh, it, it is the true story of an immigrant realizing the American dream. So Camille, welcome to the show. And tell us, tell us your journey. Falcon, nice. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. Um, I hope they find um, my story inspiring in some way and um, it uplifts them. Uh, we're going through a really difficult time. It's been a really tough year for everyone. And so these um, moments are bright spots, you know, I hope. Definitely. So as you said, I'm Camila Lane. I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. I migrated to the U.S. almost 40 years ago, not quite, about 30 seven or 38 years old. Um, but as a child, I, I remember as I always look back and reminisce, um, always being fascinated by space. At the age of six or seven years old, I every night I would go out in the trunk of my dad's car, sit in the trunk of my dad's car and just stargaze and be fascinated by the night sky. And of course, in Trinidad, I am thinking back now, it, it's, uh, it, it's not a lot of uh, um, pollution. So you can see the vastness of the night sky and it, it's so vivid to me. And I was just fascinated not knowing what that was though, just a curiosity mm -hmm. and a fascination, right? Um, but I grew up as a kid that was really very um, inquisitive, very curious. My mom says I was asking these questions at the age of two, like, how do the lights turn on, mom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so always very curious, always had an analytical mind. Um, would always be breaking things around the house and then building it back up. And I always say when things broke, my mom didn't call my dad. She called me to fix them, right? The appliances <laughs> and stuff like that. So that, all that was laying the foundation for me, right? Um, and I was a pretty good student. I was really good in math. 
really a, a stellar math student in in high school, in middle school and high school. I didn't know in middle school what that was, but in high school, I realized, oh, I got some hair, you know? Yeah. I look back on my report cards and the grades were, were excellent. And I was like, wow, like I'm good at this. I'm good at math and that's all I wanted to do, math and science. So, um, so that really was the foundation for me that was setting me on a trajectory for what has been an amazing career that I've had. Yeah, your, your journey, and I, I, read, I read your bio and then you know, we spoke a few days ago just uh, on the phone. It's amazing. I mean, I think, I mean, my first love has always been space too. I mean, you know, I'm, people think that oh, you're, you're a physician. So, you know, what is this space business? And I was like, well, no, actually, the, the, just like you, when I was a kid, you know, we, we moved from India when I was about three and a half, four years old. And as far back as I can remember, you know, I've always been gravitated towards science, uh, particularly like biology, physics. And it, I grew up in New York City and where there was a lot of light pollution. But every, every so often, if we went out into the suburbs or we went, you know, on a small vacation or something, and it was, you know, it was dark enough, you'd look out and it'd be like, wow, what is all this that I can see out here that I can't see in Queens, New York? And it was fascinating. And then, and as, as I, you know, got older in, in childhood, I would, I would just, you know, go to the public library, just read up on stuff. I, 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 my favorite channel growing up was PBS. I mean, I, I grew up on all the PBS programming, you know, from Sesame Street to 321 Contact, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I mean, to to this day, it's near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I, I try to do whatever I can to support it financially. And it made such a huge impact. And, and this is what the impact of early exposure to, you know, science and math and engineering, engineering and mathematics, everything is this STEM or STEAM exposure at an early age, it literally imprints it so much for, for children as they grow up, just like it did for you and did for me. And I always thought that one day if I could do something where it could help us get out there into space, you know, I, I'd love to do it. And now in this sort of second part of my career, I'm trying to work towards that. And, and, but there's not that many people you could talk to about this. Most people just look at you like, okay, I'm going to walk away now, <laughs> including my own family. So uh, like, I'm like giddy, like a little kid right now talking to you, but I was just like, wow, I don't have to explain myself. You don't have to explain yourself. We just get it. And I, I, I'd love to hear more about, you know, how, how was the journey after you got here into then getting, you know, involved with NASA and, and you've been there for so long and you've risen to a lot of positions of leadership and, you know, and especially as a, as a woman of color who has been highly successful you know, what, you know, what's your message out to, to everyone else out there listening to this? So I would say what, what played a pivotal role, actually, we're going to talk about my foundation and my, my, really my work in the world is advocacy of girls in STEM, but mm -hmm. that really started for me in high school because I went to an all girl high school and oh, I okay. don't be, I believe that was pivotal for me being able to be whatever it is I wanted to be or, or choose the subjects. At that point, you're kind of choosing subjects. It's not like in the US where you have to do like four years of English, four years of math, four years of, I mean, we get to do, you have to do like English and math and a science, but you can pick to do all the sciences, the physics, the chemistry, the further mm -hmm. math, 
or you could do the geography, the history, the social sciences. Yeah. And because of my love for math and science, of course, that was the track I, I took. And there weren't many girls. There were one of, I was one of 10 girls in a high school graduating class of maybe a hundred that did oh, wow. all the sciences, right? Um, but I always knew that was something unique. And um, so fast forward, and that's where my passion for focusing on girls and science and stuff like that happened. But you, you're from India, so you know that there are only a few professions that our parents knew, right? I always there's, think that there were definitely... four or five things. You could be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a nurse, or an accountant. Like that was it. Yes. Nothing else existed in the world, right? And so I knew I didn't want to do any of those. I did not like biology. I was talking to my daughter who she's in grad school but wants to go to med school actually uh -huh. and I was telling her that um I just couldn't dissect those rats and mice and stuff <laughs> mm -mm, that, that it's not for everyone me. it's not that, for everyone that, that was not my thing yeah but physics and chemistry I love chemistry um and so we had a friend a family friend you know Trinidad is big in oil it's the main mm -hmm. um export is oil and natural gas and so we had a family friend who was a petroleum engineer. And I remember, I remember thinking that that was so different. I didn't even know what an engineer did, honestly. Yeah. But I knew it was different, right? And I remember asking my mom, did he make a lot of money? And she said, yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I'm that's doing. It. That's it. That's, the, that's it. That's the field. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And you needed math and science. So yeah. I was well on the way, right, to 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 pursuing a career in engineering but then I had to decide well what type of engineering because there are all these different yeah. it's such a diverse field and so of course I knew I could have done petroleum engineering because mm -hmm. if I stayed in Trinidad or came back to Trinidad um I was going to migrate anyway because my mom is American my sisters were already up here um but if I was going to do petroleum engineering I would come back to Trinidad and do that it would be natural I could do chemical engineering because I loved chemistry. I remember I had a teacher that was so passionate about organic chemistry. It's still one of my favorite things. Um, but then I loved planes because as a, as a kid, we traveled to the U.S. every two years. Yeah. And I just fell in love with planes because it was so different. It was just like this thing. Like I always wanted to pursue things that was wild for other people. Yeah. But for me, it was a challenge, right? And I was like, planes, I love planes. Maybe I could do aeronautical engineering. And so that's what I decided to do, not knowing anybody who did that. But I was like, I want to learn to design planes. So I migrated to the States to start college. Yeah. And it was my freshman year. I'm dating myself, but 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger tragedy happened yes. it blew up upon launch I right january 28 yeah. 1986 and i tell you falcon it blew my mind because that was my first like entree to knowing there was a place called nasa i had just migrated from trinidad and we're talking about the 80s 
So it's not like we have cable TV now and these kids from oh, yeah. all corners of the world know about NASA and all this stuff. We didn't have that. So this was like an eye-opening experience for me, NASA, that there was a thing called a space shuttle and that you could have a job as an astronaut. And I was hooked. I was <laughs> like, that's what I want to do. And I focused, I switched. Um, luckily, Howard had, it was a mechanical engineering degree, but you can focus on aerospace and concentrate. So I did yeah. things like aerodynamics and propulsions and aerostructures and all that wow. stuff. And I did my senior project on um, computational modeling of the space shuttle um, system and stuff like that. I mean, and my friends thought I was crazy. They're like, <laughs> Who are you? I was going to ask they you. Didn't like, know so, what the so, heck I was doing. <laughs> what, what, what did you say at parties when people asked? So what are you studying? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they, you know, they just knew I was in engineering. Yeah. I don't think they could grasp what it was that I was doing. It's only now people are like, oh my God, like, look at her. Like, hi, you know what I'm saying? But back then it was, and to me, it wasn't anything. I was just doing what I loved. It wasn't anything special, you know, it was just like yeah. I was doing the things that I loved, and I, I didn't love every part of engineering, but I loved aerospace. I loved aerodynamics and stuff like that. And six years, I, I got my bachelor's and I, then I got my first master's and um, I was offered my first job at Kennedy Space Center. I was driving wow. into the gates of Kennedy Space Center. That was 25 years ago. That is awesome. That's, I mean, you know, it's the you, power of belief. It's the power yeah. of your thoughts, your intentions, working hard and being determined and focused. And the universe to me does the rest, right? You put in the work, the universe does the rest. It, you know, it's funny. You, you said that last part, the power of belief, you know, willing, willing it so that it happens that's something that I think a lot of people don't think exists. I mean, I'm a believer in it. I'm, you know, I don't think you can do difficult things in life and be successful without having some very innate, uh, sort of like a kernel, that mm -hmm. seed that grows inside you that says, I don't, you know, by, by hell or high water, this is going to happen. Absolutely. I'm gonna, you know, if, if the laws of physics can make this happen, I will make this happen. Absolutely. And, and I wish more people thought that way uh, because it's very easy to give up when times get hard, right? And, and you know this, I mean, you, you went through rigorous training, you went through hardships and stuff. It's very easy to just give up on the first bump. You, you know, the first time someone bumps you on that shoulder, you're like, uh, I don't think I should go down this path. But I, I love your story because you followed a childhood dream. I mean, not many people can say that that they follow their childhood dream and then and 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 it worked you know it worked out in the long run and they're able to they're able to channel that energy you know after all of the trials and tribulations so i think that's beautiful like the, the fact that i would you, say you i followed my passion yeah and this is the mes message i give to young people is to find those, that one thing or two things or three things that you love and mm -hmm. try to make a living out of that. I feel yeah. like that's where the fulfillment of life 
happens, right? It's and true. so that's what I, I don't know if it's good fortune. I don't know what it is. It's just, I've always had that belief that I'm not going to settle, you know? And as I have gotten older, I know this is, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is one chance at life. <laughs> Why not live it the way you want to live it? You get to say. And so for some reason, I had that kind of thought process very early on, even before I knew even before I could put language and meaning and, and rationale to it. Right. Of course. But it was, it was what I, I always pursued. Um, always. That's the way I lived my life. No, I, I think that's, a, that's an amazing message. And I, and, and I think more people need to hear that because as, as I kind of observe, you know, how I guess our social fabric and just our overall culture and, and, and the world in general has evolved and changed over, you know, over all the time that I, we lived here in America. It just seems like a lot of people, they kill their own dreams because they say, well, how am I going to make a living doing this? And, and, and honestly, you alluded to this in the beginning of our conversation where uh, some of us come from cultures where there was like five things you were expected to become, one of five things. And, and the resonating thing between all of them was, uh, there was education involved. And secondly, you, you would get paid at least enough so that you let you and your family could lead a comfortable life. Exactly. And I think the notion of comfort is a very dangerous thing sometimes. Um, I've, I've become, I've come to believe that comfort is like a leash, an invisible leash around your, around your neck. And it slowly just strangulates you the more comfortable you get. And I, I don't, I don't think there is a, I, I don't think that you should get too comfortable in a situation. And, and this year is an example of that, right? All but a handful of people, you know, in, in infectious diseases or in, in, in science could have predicted that we were going to have this type of pandemic. Most people were like, what happened? And we're mm -hmm. still going through it, obviously. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great example of like, you can't really predict it. I mean, you know, people look, look how many people are unemployed. Look at how many people are suffering and there's, you know, mental health. Look issues. how many people have lost their lives. Their Hundreds lives. of thousands of people who started the year with us are not going to end the year with us. It, and right? it's, it's horrible. It's, it's depressing. And, and then add to that a sense of desperation that people may have to be like, you know, they feel regret. They feel like, well, you know what? If this is going to happen, why why can't I just pursue my passion? And and I think things are changing a little bit. Where you know you have more people that you know say are creative and they can have a platform and they can be supported monetarily. But I think that childhood passion, like what you're talking about, we as a society need to do more to foster that because then we have more Camille's, we have more you know astronauts and scientists and, and whatever whatever they want to do. We have more creatives or artists, musicians. I mean, that's what makes life beautiful, society beautiful. So I'm so glad that you're here as like a, as a, as an example, like, look, look what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and I'd love to hear more about like, you know, when you started at NASA, you know, what was your experience? I mean, this, this is 25 years ago, right? So it was, uh, it was a whole different time. Look, Farron, I'm tell I could remember it like it was yesterday. Those couple of the first couple of years being at Kennedy Space Center of all places, which is where <laughs> we launched the space shuttle from, right? It's our US launch complex. 
So we do all the launches from there. We have yeah, um, we do some launches from Vandenberg, at least SpaceX's, but um, for US space transportation system, it was done at Kennedy. And so I remember the first time seeing the space shuttle on the launch pad the night before launch. It, I, I can't even describe it, goose bumps, because you're looking up at this monstrosity, right? And you just, for me, because I had the posters on my wall all during college of the space shuttle on the back of the 747 coming back from Edwards and, you know, and then the it on the launch pad and to actually see it in person and be working. I, my first job was as a, as a flight systems test engineer. So my role was testing the fluid systems, the environmental control systems of the labs that flew in the cargo bay of the space shuttle. Because mm -hmm. at that time, we were, um, we were just starting to do like really space research and microgravity research on the station, on this shuttle. It will go for seven to 14 days. Um, orbit Earth, they'll have this lab in the cargo bay. And so the astronauts would be doing experiments. And so making sure that the lab was environmentally sound um, mm -hmm. for the astronauts to survive and stuff. That was like my first job, you know, testing the cargo base, the payload systems for the shuttle. Um, just really extraordinary. I, I can't tell you just having a dream and having that dream come true like that just just really extraordinary but it didn't just it, it didn't just happen it, it happened because of hard work determination perseverance when people are like you are crazy you want to be an astronaut like what the heck like what is that like that is not even possible and for me I didn't actually even know how to do that um but just being like no this is what I want to do and I'm gonna pursue it you know so I spent a few years at Kennedy Space Center and, and my career kind of moved around a little bit, went back to school to get my second master's um, and my PhD then finished that. End up um, spending some time at the Department of Defense doing missile defense work. So again, my passion was always aerospace and I was like, okay, if I'm gonna work with missile defense, I'm gonna do missiles and stuff like that. So I spent a few years, you know, um, designing missile systems and, and that whole thing. And then it was at Missile Defense Agency in 2003. I had applied, I had applied for the astronaut program several times before that, but this year I got a call inviting me to come down for the interview. And that was a big deal because they had at that year, they had about five or 6,000 applicants and they only invited a hundred people to interview or considered a finalist. And you go through like these medical tests. I mean, anywhere that could be poked and prodded, they were poking and prodding you, right? Yeah. And we had an interview with a bunch of astronauts that was nerve wracking. And you would do like simulate some space walking where they'd suspend you. And, and you will show if you could like follow instructions and do the stuff, some robotics um, um, work. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And that year they selected 12. I wasn't one of the 12, but I knew that, oh my God, even getting to that point, Thargan. It's hard. You know, it's this little difficult. girl from the small dot in the Caribbean Sea, like getting to that point, getting so close, you know, was just, 
it, it was a testament testament to me that you know you really your again your dreams you never give up on those and you pursue them as and, and you may not they may not turn out as you want but the journey getting there is where yeah. the 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 real lessons are you know um so i started my career in the space shuttle I've spent time working on the Orion crew capsule, which is still in development. Mm -hmm. And it is what is going to send our astronauts, take our astronauts to the moon. Um, they just announced this Artemis team of, yes. of 18 astronauts that would be eligible for um, that trip to the moon. So the Orion capsule is what will take them there. So I got a chance to lead some requirements, development, systems engineering for that. And then I was um, offered a position to work on the space station as the associate program scientist. And those were amazing years because as you know, the space station is a science lab and really understanding the environment of microgravity and, and, and the type of discoveries we could have and working with yeah. researchers from all across the world. I mean, that was just I, I, the, one of the highlights of my career that really, and now I get to do that again in a different way, um, kind of commercializing space. Um, but I've gotten to spend some time doing science exploration um, at, head, at NASA headquarters where we sponsor all the science missions, the planetary missions. I talked earlier about Mars Perseverance and Clubhouse, um, the James Webb Space Telescope that will be launching in a few months um that's gonna have amazing dis scientific discoveries and then um of course our earth science portfolio so I, I just when i look back at my career it's just been truly extraordinary i've worked on every major human space flight program except the apollo mission because i wasn't born yet space <laughs> shuttle space station orion um, and then getting to work on science exploration, planetary earth, heliophysics, which is studying the sun and then astrophysics, just the breadth of things that I've been able to do and accomplish at high levels yeah. have truly been extraordinary. Like I'm so blessed. No, de definitely. I mean, yeah, I didn't realize you worked on so many of these things. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's that's that is an amazing years. amount of experience and, and skills. And what what's um and I'm sure you you've met some very interesting personalities in your in your journey. Any any particular memories or individuals that really struck you as as motivational or inspirational or that well, I always say that I have never met more brilliant people than I have the people I've worked with at NASA. We have a mentality that we can solve any problem. Not that failure is not an option. I mean, obviously we, we know that mantra from Apollo, but that we have disciplined processes that we use to solve problems. That's what we are. We are problem solvers, yeah. you know? And so when the pandemic hit, you know, NASA stood up and our engineers stood up and said, no, there are things that we could design uh, and develop that can help our populations, you know, ventilators, you know, different things. I mean, we had our scientists and researchers and engineers step up and say, no, we can do these things. 
you know, because we are used to solving hard problems. Yeah. And so just being in that environment and it's, you take that for granted because that's just my world. That's and I have one of you. my other best friends who I've worked with for a decade or so. We always tell each other, it's like, you know, the things that we struggle with um, or we beat ourselves up, other people are like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, do you, you are operating on this level. Like, do you realize the kind of stuff that you've done already or whatever? Yeah. So it's, it, it's just a different, I feel like we're in a bubble. It's, this is not real world, you know, this is not yeah. how people often live their lives, but it's just kind of natural for us. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned something about failure, right? And, and confronting it and not being afraid of it. What's your advice to people that have this fear of failure, whether it's externally impressed upon them because, you know, maybe from their family, their, their culture, their, you know, neighborhood, their whatever, whatever influences they have externally that, that tell them, you know, why would you do that? You know, don't do that. You're going to fail. You're going to, you know, because I, I, feel, I always looked at failure as, well, you're going to learn something and that's going to help you succeed. And, and everyone that I've ever heard of or known in my life that I respected and they, that, that succeeded despite all their failures, every one of them said that it's part of the, that's part of the journey. But yet I feel a lot of people are held back in their own mind because of the self-doubt of, of this notion of what failure is. So, so what is you and how do you advise people get past that so you can have the mentality that you have? But it's not a natural, I mean, it is natural to fear failure. It's the fear of failure that yes. stops people. And that's natural. We all have it. Fear is a natural part of what it means to be human and our human experience, right? But what you have to realize is do not let that fear stop you. Acknowledge the fear. Don't resist it. Acknowledge, say, I am scared. And I'm kind of going through that now with like wanting to start my own company and all that stuff. That's a whole other thing because I've never done business. I've never been an entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh my God, what if I don't eat? I have to go back to eating ramen noodles or something. <laughs> so I'm like, oh. So fear is like a real thing. And the definition of courage is acting in spite of the fear. So acknowledging the fear and still acting and coming out on the other side. And that the reward of just being able to accomplish what it was when you started with fear is just really um, very, you know, it's, it's, it's juice, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's the icing on the cake. Do, do you think that because you were, you know, at NASA from day one, you were surrounded by, you know, other people who, they, they were also fearful of, of failure, but they were, you know, they were able to mentally get past that, that you already had this, you know, built-in sort of support system, support system to say that, look, exactly. we're all in this together. If, if one person fails, we all fail. And, and it's and a team effort. Sure. So yes, for sure. So, so do you think advice to people out there that, that are maybe surrounding themselves with naysayers all the time? And I, I use the, I, I, I have two girls. So th this podcast is actually very special to me because I want my, my kids to see this, you know? And I, I always tell them that in general, humans can be like crabs in a bucket, mm -hmm. you know? 
one tries to get out and then can pull him or her mm -hmm. back in. So mm -hmm. Sometimes you, you, you have to do your best to get out of that bucket and surround yourself with people that, you know, instead of saying, why would you do that? They'll say, why not do that? Exactly. You know, we're, we, we're still here for you, even if you don't succeed in this one try. Absolutely. And that, that's, and that's the key. That's yeah. the key is surrounding yourself with people who will support you, who see your greatness, right? And, and would not allow you to just sit back and play it safe, yes. you know? But they're like, no, we believe in you and you go do it and we'll be here to support you. And so that's really important because you are a reflection of the people around you. Yeah, I, I heard somewhere, it was one of these motivational talks or books that you're, you're basically the average of the five people around mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. So, so, you know, who are the five people yep. <laughs> in a way? Yep. Yeah, no. But don't oh. also don't spread all the things you want to do. Sometimes people talk too much, and then that, that kind of negative <laughs> yes. energy comes towards them, right? Yes. So you you pick a few people that you know are going to support you, know are positive, and and then you go and you keep your stuff quiet, and you do you put your head down and you do it, and then that, that's once good advice too. People are like, "What? Where did that yeah. come from?" <laughs> Envy and jealousy are very bad oh, yeah, emotions, yeah, 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 yeah. and and at scale, they can be immensely hurtful. So especially that's when advice. people don't want people around you don't want to do anything, so they want to pull you yeah. down too because it makes them feel better about themselves. You know, well, it's it's like the eighty twenty rule, right? Eighty percent of people don't do really anything. Twenty percent are the ones who sort of drive progress and 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 sort of move us along as a as a species almost, and. And, and, and I'm glad to hear that, you know, your perspective on that, because, you know, I can imagine that, you know, being a woman of color as an immigrant to this country working in, you know, NASA. White male-dominated spaces, yeah, so not just male-dominated spaces, white male-dominated spaces. I don't even know how I navigate it. I just, I think sometimes naivety. <laughs> naivety is, is, is important because you know I didn't know what I didn't know and you're just naive and you just you just go, went for you it you know you just do your thing you know um it hasn't so, always been easy though for sure it's 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 been there have been some rocky times as you could imagine um but I I've learned that you know what people do to you is not about you it's about them Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with you keep your head down you keep pursuit my mantra is pursuit of excellence always pursuing excellence people could deal with mediocrity they can deal with when you're excellent but that's not my problem right yeah. so you, you, you can only deal with what you can deal with yeah exactly exactly okay. so so as you so we're asking as you made your way you know in your time at NASA with your different roles, now you're in a role that focuses on commercialization. And this is, this is, a, is a, a huge hotspot right now in, uh, in, in innovation, in, in, in venture capital even, in uh, just the business ecosystem is, you know, everybody's looking for the next catalyst, the next inflection point. And with SpaceX, you know, leading the way in now, you know, not, e not just inventing, but also proving the reusability of rocket technology. I mean, the per kilogram cost, you know, just getting, you know, anything out into space has exponentially come down. 
and, and most likely will continue to come down as we have more advances. What is your take on the commercialization space from the perspective of, you know, you've been in a, the leading government, you know, international organization that spearheaded so many space initiatives, but NAFTA has also over time transitioned from a pure public, you know, public funding model to, from, to a public private, private. you know, partnership. Yeah. So what do you say to people, let's say like me, you know, who are aspiring to, you know, potentially have a space focused, um, you know, venture, uh, what do you say to them? Like, wh where, where are the opportunities? Where's the support? And, you know, why not, you know? Now is the time. There is no time. I, I, I am just amazed at the time that we live in, you know, because it, it but I mean, Elon started his company 2002. And people are like, you're crazy because many people had done, he wasn't the first billionaire to do this. I mean, Andrew Beal, a few years before him, attempted the same thing and failed because there wasn't the will, the will of the mm -hmm. government to really support commercialization. Yeah. Um, he came along and there was kind of this alignment, um, but it's, it's, it, it's expanded so much since then. And I think the government is moving to a model now where it is, they wanna put the risk more on the private sector. And it, we know that it drives innovation. Yes. You know, there's nothing that we could come up. I mean, NASA had done, tried, had reusability studies for years before Elon came, you know, mm -hmm. besides the space shuttle. I mean, there were other uh, teams working on reusability and they never thought it was feasible. And here's Elon doing what he's doing, like landing two boosters simultaneously. It's, it's like mind blowing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I get goosebumps so, every every time I see that video. To, to this day, I'm just like, it, it's very it's, inspirational. It, it, like if, if I have a down like, day and about what I'm thinking about doing, and I, I watch that video and I'm like, like what am I complaining about? <laughs> I just I'm like I marvel at what they've been able to accomplish. Um, but it really has opened up what's possible, and so we know private sector will push the boundaries of innovation far beyond what the yeah. NASA could do, right? And that that's the beauty of this private public partnership, but with competition drives lower cost models, yes. right? And, and that's what we would wanna, we wanna spend. We wanna drive um, um, costs down. We wanna drive prices down because it's just better for the government. And so now is the time um, but it's not just launch vehicles. It's not just the market of launch vehicles and transportation system. You got to be transporting something or else what the heck are the transportation systems for, right? Yeah, exactly. So small satellites, for example, are, are revolutionizing access to space for all people around the world, right? Developing countries who never thought that they could be part of a space exploration now can do that, um, use space, um, small satellites as an educational tool to educate um, a, you know, a population of engineers and scientists and stuff like that. Um, and so that they can get now get into space. And then of course we have the International Space Station which is the science lab open for researchers, open for technologists, um, people who are into manufacturing, 3D printing, all this stuff, mm -hmm. material, um, you know, it, it's, it, 
we have we have this platform that's available for developing demand um, for space, the access to space. And beyond that, I told, you know, I, I shared with you commercial space stations are the next big things um, in low Earth orbit for space tourism for uh, um, as lab platforms where, you know, the government NASA could just buy a service mm -hmm. from by use of a particular facility, or you can send your astronauts to this commercial space station to do human research. Um, but then, you know, that opens up a whole e economy for that drives the, yeah. you know, space, space private sector. Are you, are you seeing uh, does this, the same way NASA is, is doing these partnerships and really, you know, uh, cultivating and fostering this ecosystem of innovation via the private sector? Are you seeing other countries that have space agencies uh, following suit or, or, or do you feel like there's stagnation there? Like, can you, can you speak to, you know, how those in other locales other than the United States could potentially either benefit from this type of uh, paradigm? Yeah, so the, it's an international space station. So mm -hmm. we have a partnership with Europe, Japan, uh, Canada, and then Russia on, that, on the other side. And so um, they are also pursuing commercialization. Mm -hmm. they, I know Japan for sure has a fledgling um, new space commerce industry, a lot like the US is. Um, and then the small launcher market, the small um, launch vehicle market is not just a US thing. It's happening all over the world. There are countries yeah. in Europe. I mean, there are companies in Europe and there are companies in Japan, China, and all over, you know, that uh, has been stood up to um, build small, develop small launchers um, to be able to transport these small satellites. So they feel like there's a market. And um, so, no, this is being fostered all over the world. All over the world, yeah. And, and, you know, this is something I think you brought up in a, in a discussion in a different forum, which I think is worth repeating that, you know, there is the magical sort of mis mysterious thinking of what we can do in space. And I think, you know, a lot of science fiction uh, movies and shows have, have, have uh, I think, inspired a lot of people to think about what we can do. And my favorite is The Expanse. I, I, I think it's probably the most scientifically sound of all of the shows I've ever seen, you know, or movies from Star Trek to, you know, all the Star Wars series and then, you know, anything else in between. But it's interesting to think that there's the reality and the practical aspects, which I know you have alluded to in different forums. All and the then, time. That's what, I, that's what I'm there for. I'm there for the reality check. Yeah, the reality check. <laughs> so what, what, do you, what do you say to the people that, you know, ask questions like, okay, so how soon are we going to be able to do what they do in the expanse and mine ice off of asteroids. Like in the first three episodes, you know, you see them in, in, in these ships and they're, they have ice blocks coming off of asteroids and then it goes to the, you know, another asteroid station. And it's, 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 it's amazing to watch because you're like, man, I can see, yeah, that could happen. You know, it's not like, you know, we're not talking about like, you know, beaming people across the universe. We're talking about something that is a physical, you know, based in the laws of physics. Yeah. But, because you've been in the industry and you've been on the government side, what's the practicality for these type of technologies? 
I would say with, I mean, within years, I, I, I mean, I said that we're doing it now, right? Japan just returned its first asteroid um, samples um, literally a few weeks ago, first time. Um, NASA is at, at the asteroid Bennu with a mission called OSIRIS-REx returning in the next few yeah. years. So we are, all, we are already doing that. I think the question is, is there a market for that? Can you create an economy out of asteroid mining? And I think the jury's still out on that. Like, where's the market? What exactly are you mining? You know, mm -hmm. I asked that question, mm -hmm. what are you mining? Like, do you just go out and grab it and come back and then you, you, you figure out what it, it's made up of or? Do you feel like that investigation needs to be done ahead of time? And then you're like, okay, that is a rare material that we don't have here on Earth. Because again, if we have it on Earth, why would you want to spend all that money yeah. to develop such complex systems to go? You know, that doesn't make sense. So yeah, it has it to, they, they, there should be a reason why we, when there's a market, when we're talking about commercialization, there has to be a return on the investment right mm -hmm. it's not just for discovery now we're in the business the government is in the business of scientific discovery so we would invest in things like that we you know to and that's what we're doing with osiris rex but when you talk about commercialization there has to be a return on investment there has to be a market and or else it's not going to be sustainable Wait, where do you in the foreseeable future so let's say a 10 year 10 year horizon in a 10-year horizon, where do you see the markets uh, either now or in the 10-year you know, horizon uh, coming into play? Is it in the low Earth orbit or L, you know, LEO sort of you know, area? Is it lunar? Is it interplanetary? I mean, asteroids, obviously, they're, that's very, um, no pun intended, a pie-in-the-sky type of mm -hmm. thinking, but it's highly lucrative if you can figure out the market for that because mm -hmm. valuation of some of these asteroids that have already been sort of, um, you know, have been examined is, is in like trillions of dollars. Like, you, you know, one, one of these hunks of rocks is like trillions of dollars and it's, it's like the next oil rush or whatever it is, but what, well, because the, of the rarity of it, right? The value is in the rarity. Yeah. yeah. But where do you see the next 10 years going? Alert orbit. Lord pharmaceuticals, for example, using using the environment of microgravity, right, mm -hmm. to develop drugs to study um, diseases, right, in biological sciences. I think there's a big um, market there. Um, I think materials, right, um, understanding using the environment to understand materials, right, and so that maybe we could develop it better here, mm -hmm. composite materials, stuff like that. Um, or, of course, 3D printing, we're doing a lot of that in space mm -hmm. that, that definitely has uh, a use for further space exploration. You don't want to, you don't, you don't know all the tools that you're going to have to take on a long duration, duration flight mission to Mars. So you want, you want to be able to manufacture tools, you know, um, in transit. So 3D printing, uh, additive manufacturing is, is mm -hmm. gonna be a big deal. Um, what I think those are like the big, big areas yeah. I see. So it seems like, it seems like the, 
the, the, the general theme I got out of what you just said was to try to take the things that we do on Earth and to try to do them in low Earth orbit and take advantage of you know, microgravity, take advantage of the fact that we can make higher quality either materials or processes, and then see how we can translate that to earthbound applications. But exactly. you, you sort of have this factory or factories or production areas in, in space already. Um, would that help us then move to, for example, you know, lunar you know, colonization and mining and resource extraction. And then ultimately, you know, does, does low Earth orbit function almost as a jump off point mm -hmm. as opposed to Earth itself being the jump off point? Absolutely. It, it serves as a jumping off point. It serves as a point where we learn, especially when you're dealing with humans, the space tourism, even if it's not the government, people want to take a trip to the moon. Like you want to know how the human body is going to survive that. Yeah. However long that duration is. So having being close enough home where you could do that kind of those investigations, that kind of research yeah. is really the, the beauty of something, a platform like the ISS in Earth orbit. In, in speaking of, of humans in space, whether it's low Earth orbit or, you know, or suborbital flights, even, you know, to inter, interplanetary or lunar missions, what are what are the top challenges that you know that have been identified that really need to have resolution or some type of technological advances that that the private sector could work on and that you know NASA and comparable agencies would support for like proof of concept or even further development? Well, yeah, you this is your area. Uh, definitely space space radiation. How do we protect? Mm -hmm the human body from the exposure of space radiation. That's the number one risk to mm -hmm. long duration flight um, beyond earth for humans, right? So that is one thing. Um, we also have the psychological effects. How do we solve that? You know, you're cooked up in a can, you may be with two other people on this yeah. long mission, right? And so there are gonna be psychological effects. We know that um, with astronauts on the space station. So dealing with that, um, dealing with things like the vision, because we know astronauts, um, they, their, vision go, their vision acuity goes down on a long duration flight. So how do you solve that problem? So they're, mm -hmm. they're kind of these space adaptation effects. How do you keep them healthy, right? From losing bone and muscle, that's a natural thing that's gonna yeah. happen. But what are the countermeasures that you could put in place and we know exercise is a big deal it's a, it, it is a, a huge kind of measure to keeping them healthy yeah. right but how do you design these systems with all this equipment that you need to take on this long duration flight just to keep the humans healthy and safe so that when they get there they're able to do the exploration and come back i think there, there's so many areas within that that needs solving, needs innovative solutions. So, so there's obviously no, no shortage of problems that we have to address. Yep. Um, there's probably not a shortage of ambitious, you know, um, inventors and scientists and, and founders that would like to work on it. I think one, uh, one question, and this is a question I ask myself based on my interest is how does one even start 
if you have an idea, so you know, your idea of uh, you know, working on just safety in space for humans, uh, you know, the ocular symptoms, the uh, radiation, which is an area I'm trying to work on, um, where does one go to say, okay, how do I even get a proof of concept? You know, I don't have, you know, I don't have hundreds and thousands of dollars laying around, uh, nor do I want to sit there and go into debt for this kind of money. Um, where does someone go? Because I think, you know, that's also an area, it's very murky, where um, if you want to start a fintech company, okay, here's what you got to do for that. If you want to start a SaaS company, okay, there's, you know, these are all earthbound solutions that are already there. Space exploration has always had this, you know, the stereotype or perception probably to the lay public, like it is expensive to do mm -hmm. anything space related. Yeah. So any, any solutions, any programs? Well, again, it's a perfect time because the government is enabling mm -hmm. space commercialization, right? We are enabling development of economies in space. And so there are a lot of areas or, you know, maybe grants, um, agreements that could be put in place with the government, not just NASA, DOD has needs too. Mm -hmm. You know, the US Space Force and all this stuff, there are needs there from a technological perspective. Um, of course, NASA has needs for humans, um, but there, there's a, there are a lot of resources out there where the government will fund proof of concepts, right? They will fund ideas um, if it aligns with um, the mission mm -hmm. that we are trying to, to um, carry out, right? Which is the future explore human exploration of space. Yes. And so if it's in line with the mission and goals that NASA has, then you can get funding. The, 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 yeah, it's available. It's, yeah, it's I think the, the, it's the maybe helpful time. is offline. If you have a list of those uh, resources or where people can go, I'll put it on the show notes. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and so there's a Leo. So NASA.gov is a extraordinary resource for <laughs> any any kind of um, answer questions you want answered. And Leo commercial. Leo Economy, I think, is one of the websites. Okay. Um, you could Google it, NASA Leo Economy, and it would take you to exactly where all the information is and how you could submit a proposal and all that stuff. So it's right there under on, on NASA.gov site. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so I'll, I'll put that on the show notes. Um, what you know, another aspect of your work at NASA I wanted to ask was, you know, you had mentioned that. Um, that as as a immigrant and you know as a as a woman of color you know you you entered at a time where there was not many people that looked like you who had your background Still not uh, really uh, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Still Still, not a lot what, but what, what, what a little more but not a lot a little bit more yeah what do you say to uh you know young people who who want to you know kind of go in your footsteps and they may ne not necessarily become rocket scientists, but they want to do these, you know, work in these revolutionary fields that can really progress mankind. Are there any particular organizations or resources that, that you would point them to to say, hey, listen, you know, you can get help or mentoring or uh, a, lot, a lot of times it's just, you know, who you know, right? And that's still how the world works. It's who you know and where, and you're, um, your alma mater is uh, Howard? Howard University. Howard University, right? So 
um, I'd love to hear about your thoughts on that and, and how people can, you know, connect their, their dreams and passion to actually making something happen. I would say representation matters. Mm -hmm. It is important for people to see others who look like them, especially in very unique fields like this, where there are not many people doing mm -hmm. this, right? It, for young women, it's important for them to see other women lo who look like them doing this. Yeah. Then they're like, ah, if she could do it, I could do it. I can do it too. Yes, you know, exactly. you hear a lot of exactly. people talk about the story of the hidden figures and how upset they are that it, they never knew this until three years yeah. ago about these amazing women who yes. are the forefront of human exploration right? We're not for them. The, it was the invention of the computers. When we didn't trust computers, we were like, no, we want the humans to do the calculation. And then we will validate with the computers. Now, of course, we don't trust humans. We trust the computer. <laughs> no, their, their role was so critical. And I've heard so many people say, if I knew about them when I was growing up, oh my God, how different my life could have been. Yeah. Right, so representation yeah. is so important. So I always tell young people, seek mentors, seek role models. It's, it won't be easy because these fields, if you're interested in astrophysics, planetary science or geology or whatever, these are not fields where there are a lot of women or a lot of women of color, but you got to go out there and look for them, reach out, don't be afraid to reach out you know, and say, hey, like, I'm really interested in this field. I don't know what it entails. You know, I would like to know what is your day-to-day? -day? What is a day in the life of a geologist? You know, is there a way I can come and do, you know, a day with you in the field or something? You know, it's so important to get that type of exposure and that type of experience. Um, for it to crystallize in the minds of young people that they can actually do this. These. Yeah. That's know? important. You're right. Repre like you said, representation matters. You know, representation when a, matters. When a, when a child doesn't have to wonder why no one else looks like them, you know, whether it's gender, skin color, or you know, the way their language, or the way they talk, or whatever it is. Um, it makes it, it's very empowering. It's very Absolutely. empowering. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I'm glad you're, you're right. I think being assertive in, in, in the day, in this day and age where information is at our fingertips, I think at is, is, is very important. Um, are there any particular organizations that uh, those who, you know, are looking for others like themselves who are you know, in the STEM fields in uh, that they can go to where it's a little bit more formalized because you know they, they may they, they may be from an environment a you know family a culture or whatnot where they just don't have any access to you know someone like yourself uh, and they don't even know okay where do I even call or who do I email I can't you know I, I live in California or I live in Wyoming or wherever you live uh, I, I don't have the means to go travel to. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, I have a foundation, we could talk about that. And I yeah. started the foundation, because I recognized that there were no little ones who looked like me in the pipeline. And I was like, well, how could we change this? How do we, how do we turn this around? The only way you can do that is through education, 
through yeah. exposure, through motivating these young people, through mentorship. So I, I mean, I mentor countless people, young women around the world, right? And I have a model, I have a program called STEM Models where I select um, professionals, usually women of color who are doing unique um, careers and they're available to, to serve as mentors. But there are a lot of other organizations, the organizations like Black Girls Code, for example, mm -hmm. that train girls seven to 17 to learn how to code. We know that whole ecosystem, yes. right? The technology ecosystem, Silicon Valley is a whole other beast that um, has not been readily accessible mm -hmm. for young people um of color so there there are several organizations black girls code is one of them that kind of exposes young women to that to teaching them coding and stuff like that um they're uh, girls who code they i mean there's so many stem yeah. new stem organizations out there that are trying to address this stigma specifically about i'm talking about girls and encouraging them to go into to STEM fields. Um, but there are a lot of organizations, you know, Girl, Girl Scouts, for example, they have a whole module that they focus on STEM. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of organizations out there that you can Google and um, yeah, that, that provide resources. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, things have progressed very, much more positively than I remember when I was a kid. Where, mm, me too. Um, <laughs> I was just, you know, you just went through the traditional route of learning. I mean, you know, this is the days when in, the internet wasn't even around, which is which is probably a very funny thing to hear for some of the, our listeners and, and viewers that, wait, there was a time when there was no internet, you know? And, oh, I was in grad school. Yeah, yeah. I was in grad school when Mosaic, do you remember Mosaic? I and mean, I was like, yes. what the heck is this, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's one thing living at a time when a certain technology is just so ubiquitous that you don't, you don't even think twice, right? You, you don't think twice like, okay, I always carry my phone, but there was a time where there was no phone to carry and that, you know, and you know, you had rotary. I mean, it's it sounds funny to people listening. No, to that and our generation, that. we we kind of straddle that. Yeah. We went but, from no technology to all this technology, whereas our children grew up inside of this. Exactly. You know? And there's something really amazing to see that transformation. To be like, wow, I I actually lived through. I, you know, I I've spoken to like you know, my grandparents, my wife's grandparents, yeah. who in India they were they were around where there was no electricity. In, in the British colonial yeah. time, right, you know, near near independence time back in 1940, mm -hmm. 1940s, mm -hmm. and 1947 was independence, but they they would tell us these stories. They're like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, you know, we owned farmland and I would go on a horse with a shotgun where I had to, I had to, it was like a, one of those old ones where you had to actually pack the gunpowder mm -hmm. in, like, like stuff that you'd see like in a movie, like a period yeah. piece, you know? And they would say that, yeah, I would go around and I'd have an oil lantern and I would have to look at, you know, I would have to fight off squatters on my land. And and then I still remember the first time I saw a light bulb. And, and, and you think about it, you're like, man, that is that is amazing progress in, in a few generations that you go from no electricity to ubiquitous electricity and data all around you. Yeah, and my mom is 90 years old. And of course, she grew up in the era 
where she technology is just not something that yeah. she is gonna be proficient in and even at that you know even when she was a little a few years ago we were trying to get her to use Facebook and stuff like that and I see for us how we have just you know transcended that we're in the in between but we've made that transition yeah. to um you, to all the technology I keep up with everything you know it, it is a lot to keep up it is a lot to keep up with it's a lot to keep up with do you think that the more of this technology we have especially with social media and whatnot what effect do you think that has on people do you think it's positive do you think it's negative do you think it's what they make of it you know more divisive more unifying what, what's your thought on it i think it's what we make of it and people are gonna be who they are and they're gonna be bad people who use it for perverse things. And um, we see all the great ways we get to use it to connect the world. I mean, the world has gotten so much smaller and we can raise money for this. I mean, we get the information right away and we could raise money to solve problems, help people and stuff like that. So there are all these, I mean, I just think it's, it's, it's what we make of it you know, and, and, and who you are as a human using the technology and yeah. it could be good or bad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an amoral thing, right? It, it doesn't know right from wrong. Exactly. And, and, and it's funny because I think some of these, some of some social media platforms and certain, certain types of technology, they tend to foster echo chambers at mm-hmm. times. And, you know, it's like the rabbit hole people just they don't know they're in the rabbit hole until they're you, very you don't deep, even know you don't very even know. deep into Sometimes it i'm like why why am i only seeing the same people over and over and over again you realize it's the algorithm and yeah. i hate that yeah because i'm following a diversity of people you know and i want to see a diversity of things of information of knowledge and stuff like that and so that's where it is incumbent of, on you as the individual to go out and seek the, you know these different sources especially for our information our news and stuff like that and not just be wedded to one but we don't even know we're being brainwashed right it's it's just it's true one of those things where you're just like wow it 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 take some critical thinking to really understand that well it takes that and it also takes like these type of conversations because it's not a thing people think day to day you know it's very easy to reflexively just be like let me check my twitter let me get on clubhouse let me go on facebook or and and i'm not trying to vilify social media i think people have you know people have launched entire businesses based on social media platforms and you know that so there are a lot of positive positive things that happen but I feel like it's very easy to, like you say, the brainwashing, the 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 reflexive use of technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've seen it with my own kids. Uh, an iPad is the same thing as a pacifier at some age. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's like oh well, okay, just here, quiet down. You know, take this, take that. And and sometimes I think having these kind of conversations, at least you bring it back to life to be like, you know what, maybe I need to you know put this down for a little while, or maybe I need to you know block my time off to say, okay, I'm not going to use it, uh, yeah. use a certain tool here or there. But well, I, that's I, the beauty of a platform like Clubhouse, where we're actually having conversations and yes. we're not just typing 140 yeah, word characters like or whatever yeah. it is, you know, 
um, which, which so much gets lost in, you know, those kind, the way, that way of communicating, yeah. you know? And so having the conversations is really a welcome, a welcome change. It is, it is a welcome change. Um, to switch gears, I wanted to ask you a few questions, particularly because you are a rocket scientist and I think mm -hmm. your, your viewpoint is going to be a little different than maybe other people's. So completely out of left field, aliens. <laughs> oh my God, we have this conversation. You, you know, but you know I have to ask it. You know, I, mean, like, I, I find it a very fascinating I'm topic. I'm not into the alien talk at all. <laughs> Actually, I often said, this is a question I get from young people all the time when yeah, they want to yeah. speak, right? And, and I'm, I'm sure you're probably annoyed by it. Humans are aliens, right? If other, civil, if other civilizations came here, they'll be like, who are these people, you know? Just because how we think and the way we act and treat each other and yeah. our planet and stuff like that. It's just- Yeah, we're, you know, we're very tribal. We're very, we're very chimp-like. We yeah. still act, you know, as, as these, you know, sort of hairy primates and- yeah. um, but I'm, I'm just wondering your take on it because, you know, obviously there's there's an entire world of people who believe in UFOs and, you know, they're self-proclaimed UFOlogists. And, and, and I sort of laugh at it because coming from a scientific background, you know, I, I look at it like, okay, where's the evidence or, you know, you know, even, you know, mathematically, theoretically, can, you know, can it be possible? And I mean, I'm, I still believe there's probably extraterrestrial life, but... I don't really know what is, I mean, to, to say that it's going to look like us, talk like us, what, you know, that's just, you're just making everything human-like, and and we've done that with religion, we've done that with so many different things, you know, we see faces on the, on, on the moon, and we're like, well, it's oh, the green man with the big eyes, right, green like, that's big our eyes. concept, that's our, it's, it's part of our, our linear thinking, yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's like a survival instinct, yeah, it's like we need to be able to look at threats, right? Exactly. And so we're, our minds are like, we're drawn to faces, you know, contrast between light exactly. and dark, things. Exactly. I mean, we have, a, in, you know, we have an entire different area of the brain that, that, that perceives motion compared to actual, the actual colors and the other senses, which is interesting that this is how we evolve, that motion out in the field even though we don't know what it is, our eyes go right towards it, mm -hmm. you know, because it's a survival instinct. Like you want to see the, you want to see the lion in the, in the bush or mm -hmm. some bear, you know, some threat to you and your, 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 your kin or whatever. So I, I just, I, I, I want to just get your take on it to be like, let's say forget aliens, but what do you think about the notion of extraterrestrial life? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. It is so it's our hubris as humans to think that we are the only life that exists and in the way in the life forms that we understand which is human life form um but not at all that's not how I think about it and I always tell people you gotta think critically but that's just mm -hmm. not something that comes naturally to people because we just don't educate people like that whole other story yes. but our <laughs> universe is too vast not to have other life out there. Now, what that life looks like is a whole other thing. It could be microbial life. When we say we're searching for life, we yeah. it's microbial life. It's not necessarily human life or anything like that, right? But yeah. we have um, we have missions that have identified 
exoplanets or Earth-like planets. That's what we're looking for in other galaxies, right? And that with the right kind of conditions, you know, the distance from the sun, the revolution of the, the planet, um, the kind of atmospheric pressure that could be developed in that kind of environment. You know, we know that at least based on what we know about how life is fostered here on earth with the presence of water and stuff that possibly those conditions, if they exist in other planets and other galaxies, then life could be, some kind of life could be fostered. So that's how we think about it. And that's how I think about it. I just don't think our universe is too vast, whether or not we are advanced enough as a human species to identify what that looks like is, you know, it's going to be another story, but we have questions that we are asking and we use a very disciplined scientific inquiry process to, to answer those questions. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. It's only a matter of time. I don't know if in my lifetime, but yeah. Yeah. In one way, I, I don't know how humans would even react to extraterrestrial life. I think it would throw some people for such a mental loop that their entire construct of what is reality and, you know, what is, you know, like, uh, you know, we, like you say, we, we're, we have a lot of hubris. We think that just because we are here, everything is for us, which is yeah. the ultimate hubris that you can have. And, and to say that, well, we actually found some type of life, you know, in XYZ or, mm. um, you know, the clouds of Venus or, you know, on Mars or whatnot. I, I feel like the first reaction a lot of people may have is, yeah, I don't believe you. And we've, we've seen a lot of the, I don't believe you this year when it comes to science. Yeah. And I, I feel like th that, that little discovery and those little victories of progressing science, I think there's only going to be a handful of people really cheering for it at first. Like people like you and I would be like, And look how oh, tangible amazing. that was this year. I mean, it was a virus that they could see and study and stuff like that. And people are just like, okay. Like, I don't believe it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I believe if there was ever a stronger case for STEM education from like, the pre-K age period is this, the, the denial of science itself. I think about that. And, well, know, I've thought about that for the last nine months. Yeah, and, and, I, and I try not to get political, especially on these podcasts about this, but it makes you wonder where people, where humanity is heading, if this is the type of thinking Absolutely. that there is. Yeah, and, I, I'm concerned too. Actually, I'm very concerned. The denial of science and and empirical-based, um, you know, evidence and and investigation. I don't know. We, yeah, yeah. It's. I, I'm hoping 2021. Although it's not going to change humans that that much, obviously. But I'm hoping that as we have the rollout of these vaccines, which again we're all developed using scientific principles. Exactly. So the same people that don't believe in science will end up getting a vaccine, which was produced exactly through the disciplines exactly. within science. Exactly. Which is, you, you can't even make this up. Like if you were to write some comedy skit, you couldn't even like, it's so ironic that, you know, I guess the truth or reality is stranger than fiction, you know, so to speak. I think for people, they think science is so much above their heads. 
right? And I think as people in these fields, we must be cognizant about how we are communicating the information yes. in yes. a way that people at the, at the, you have to meet people where they are, right? Yes. So you have to be able to dilute the explanation without changing, you know, the, the real scientific workings of whatever it is yeah, that you're talking it. about, right? Yeah. Um, but we have to be better communicators. I think that is also, that is incumbent upon us as scientists, researchers, engineers, that it is important that we communicate in a way that um, not just captures the imagination of the layperson, but they actually could relate to it Mm -hmm. as something that impacts their lives, their yes. individual lives, right? Um, and so that's something we have to recognize that there's work to be you done. You know, I, I give a lot of credit to a lot of the scientists in, you know, in the astronomy, astrophysics, co cosmology, cosmology fields, mm -hmm. you know, the, the ones that have really focused on, you know, public, you know, education. Yes about science, about, especially with their disciplines, because like you say, when people don't understand how something that seems very ethereal, that space and, you know, vaccines and virus, I mean, things that you can't touch, feel, or see, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a, that's the, the notion of what the average person is going to think. Mm -hmm. And if you can't bring it to their level to be like, well, this is how it affects you. You know, why does space commercialization actually, is why is it worth taxpayer dollars to, to support? It's because here's all the things that have already come down and trickled down, so to speak, exactly. into your life um, because of this these investments. Exactly. And, it, and, and I wish that other scientific, dis, I, mean, I know in medicine, I will tell you that we are not that good at it. Like physicians, you know, for one reason or another, I don't know exactly what, I mean, we definitely don't have any formal education in yeah. how, to, how to, I mean, medical schools have tried to their credit. Um, some physicians are really great, you know, public sort of orators and whatnot, but the, the average physician, they're just, they speak in medical speak to, mm -hmm. to the, you know, to a, to a patient. And a lot of times the patient encounter is more like, okay, I, the patient came here worried. Now I'm worried and confused. Mm -hmm. And then I walk <laughs> exactly. right back out and, 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 and I wish we were better at it. You know, I wish, I wish, you know, number one, we had the time to discuss things better, yeah. which is a whole different problem. That's a whole but, other thing. But, you know, I wish we had those personalities like, like the Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, and the, exactly. You know, and, and like those individuals, but, you know, that, that commanded the same level of respect, audience and whatnot in these other, other disciplines, you know, um, it's a skill though, Falcon. It's a it skill and not everybody has it. But yeah. the way, the best way to communicate science is through storytelling, which is really how humans relate to each other. Yes. Right. We relate through stories. And um, I had such a great boss who was a master at that when I worked in ISS. And a lot of our job was communicating, not just mm -hmm. communicating to the public to build advocacy for the space station, but communicating to the science community so that they knew this was a resource that they had access to, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I learned so much 
through that experience about the importance of telling stories, meeting people where they are, and it relating it to them in a way that they can understand in their lives, you know? And so yeah. we, yeah, we just got to do a better job of that. Yeah, no, I, I think we do. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we're going to make progress in that, you know, and, and I mean, you know, we, we have, we have people such as yourself, you know, who you're, you're a great communicator, but you also have this entire, you know, entire lifetime almost of, of, of knowledge and experience that you can impart. And I think that, you know, that, that wisdom is sometimes can be hard to find, but I'm, I'm glad you know, we're able to have these kind of discussions and, 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 you know, and get it out there. Um, what else are you looking forward to in 21 and 2021 and beyond? You know, what, what do you, what do you want to see more and, you know, how, how can people help with that? I am looking forward to getting back out on the road before the pandemic. Last year, no, Falcon, last year I went to 10 countries, five of which were speaking like invitations to speak. I miss that so much. So that that's one thing. I know it's not gonna happen as soon as we turn the corner in 21. It's probably gonna happen to the what's the end of 21, actually, maybe early 22. Mm-hmm. But I look forward to when I could do that again. And um I I will tell you this story. I'm a space diplomat for the State Department. Um, they asked me to join their speakers program. And last year they sent me to Central Asia, three countries in Central Asia, um, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan. And it was amazing because they had reached out to me earlier in the year to mentor a group of girls in Kyrgyzstan who decided that they wanted to show their government that girls could do science and they wanted to develop and fly a CubeSat. So the oh, State wow. Department reached out to me to ask me to mentor them. And I said, of course, absolutely. And so I would be on a Zoom call midnight, my time. It was nine o'clock their time, sure. um, you know, guiding them through their endeavors. And then this opportunity came in the summer to go to Central Asia. And they were like, well, you were mentoring the girls. Do you want to go to, they, I got invited to go to Uzbekistan, but they were like, oh, Kyrgyzstan is not too far and in order to go to Kyrgyzstan you got to go to Kazakhstan so do you want to go to it's a, it was this amazing <laughs> 10-day trip of meeting the hundreds of young people and talking about space and science and oh my god like I just uh, oh my gosh and it's such a memorable experience so I'm looking forward to that coming up again um, going to maybe some countries in, in, in Africa. I want to go to like South Africa and Ghana to inspire the youth there too. Mm-hmm. So, so that is one of the big things for me that I am really wanting to do. And then of course, um, laying the foundation for having my own entrepreneurial endeavors once my public servant career has come to a close. <laughs> are, you, are you able to speak to what idea you have or is it is it stealth mode? It's in stealth mode. It's in stealth mode. <laughs> well, next time we have you back on, hopefully it's not in stealth mode and you can talk about it. And I think, but you know, it's, it's inspiring to hear that, that 
that that there is that outreach, international outreach by you know parts of the U.S. government. You know that that otherwise, uh, I mean, again, this is my my just my assumption that those girls, you know, would not have had that access to someone like yourself or to to the resources, you know, that the U.S. government can can afford that a, a lot of countries just cannot. And and I and I feel like. You know, for you, I'm sure it was a memorable trip and it, it meant a lot. But I think to those girls, it was probably a millionfold as powerful because you know they'll they'll always keep that you know from their childhood, from the that young age, they'll keep that to be like, my God, you know, like I had that experience, and it's uh, you know you, it, I think it's, it's it's amazing what you're doing because you're you're literally planting all these seeds for the future. Which not many people get to do, yeah. Uh, even if they want to do. I'll um, tell you another story. This was maybe four years ago. I was at a conference, a conference that the, I, the International Space Station program puts on, and they were doing some social media um, stuff. They had uh, some of the women scientists, you know, um, on the live. I think it was somebody a celebrity's live account and they took it over or something so we were talking and so I get back to my hotel room and I go on my Facebook messenger and there is a message from this young girl in India mm -hmm. and she reaches out and she's like oh my gosh I just saw you on Instagram I have always dreamt of being like a space scientist or something and oh my god and and yeah. so we fostered that relationship you know and I've guided her and mentored her and stuff like that but that that it's stuff like that that you know I get the honor and pleasure of doing and and just serving as a as a role model for young people it's it's just it's I don't take it lightly at all. When things get safer to travel and whatnot, where's the first place you want to go? Where's the first place I want to go? Oh my God. So one of my favorite places on the planet is Italy, Tuscany. Oh, yes, yes. And I visited there. My daughter was studying. She was doing a summer in, uh, in, in Tuscan, in, in Siena. Um, this was about four years ago. And I got to visit and I would love to go. I dream of actually kind of having a house there. And, you know, so that's one, <laughs> that's one of the first places that I would love to go back to. Yeah, no, Italy sounds like we were supposed to go this year and everything got canceled. And that was, let's just say that was heartbreaking. <laughs> it's, oh. So breathtaking. I've just been fortunate to, to travel to many places. And I, that's just what I love, just meeting, you know, people of other cultures and experiencing, you know, just how other people live around the world. Um, it, it, it's, it's something special. I wish more Americans could do that because I think we would have a different perspective mm -hmm. our place in the world, you know. You know, but it was. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> no, no, definitely. But it's interesting you bring that up because um, recently, so you know, I I follow the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, and you know, he has some very interesting guests. And recently, he 
actually had an, a former NASA astronaut. Uh, I think his name is uh, Terry Virts, V-I-R-T-S. Terry Virts, yes, I know him. And he, he says something really interesting that I think goes along with what you said about traveling and seeing other parts of the world. Where he said that before he went into space, especially when he you know, spent like 200 days out in the mm -hmm. space station or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. He said before he went, whenever he used to travel, you know, if he went to Korea, if he went to anywhere in Africa, if he, it didn't matter where he went, it would be like, you know, okay, I'm here, I'm in this other country, but my home is back in the States. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here. He said that his whole viewpoint changed when he saw Earth yep. from the space station. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I think Joe Rogan asked him that, you know, what did it feel like, you know, seeing it? He goes, he goes, it never got old. But he's, he says his, his perspective, what it changed was that after he came back, no matter where he went, he always felt like he was home. Mm -hmm. And I think his, you know, his point was, is that if people can see what I have seen, I think it would, it would really change their perspective to say that, yeah, we're all kind of in this together. We're on this huge rock. And and you know this this whole you know this is mine and that's yours and we fight for this and we you know the divisiveness for some people not all people but for some people it may just it may dissolve away and I, I always wish that these heads of governments could experience that because then we won't we'd be fighting over yeah stuff that seems, we fight for. seems petty but um it's called the overview effect. Okay, so there's a name. And for they it. don't see, um, yes, they have a language for it, and they don't, you just don't see borders like it's our world. Yeah. It's our yeah. planet. It's home. I, I, I thought you it know? was awesome the way he explained it because, um, and you, you know, you, it was on video, so you can see like even his face, you can see like the, the, the look, you know, and that, that's what we need, honestly. I feel like we need that more and more because. You know, again, the echo chambers, the borders, the you know, I'm this and you're that, and you know, the hashtags. And I'm, I'm hoping that there comes a time, at least in my lifetime, where there's that suborbital flights or, or just near it's orbital cheap flights enough are that cheap enough people, that yep. you know you can you can do it with your Absolutely. loved one or gift it to someone yep. and be like, you know what, before you before you, you know, depart this earth, this, this, you know, life, I want you to see this once. And, and it, it's funny, I, I have a photo above my desk and it's the photo of the earth from the moon, this, this very famous photograph. Yes. And I always keep it there because it just gives you perspective. You know, I, you know, obviously I can't be there to do that, but at least you see it and you realize some, you know, some of the things we complain about, some of the things that, bother us on the day to day, they, they all of a sudden they become petty and you're like, eh, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. And I think that perspective matters. That image is called Earthrise. Earthrise and is. I believe it's the Apollo 17 crew. Don't I think so, yeah. If, if, if um, Amazon, of course, recommended it to me because I was searching for something else. <laughs> so, so, these, so it's not, it's not all nefarious. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy this. This is great. I love it. Yeah. Earthrise, yeah. Earthrise. It's great. I get to see Earthrise every day, you know? No, it's, it's, that's the beauty of 
being involved in space, you know, and that's what I wanted for every little girl when I started my foundation is that they could look up or they could be involved in something so much greater than themselves, you know, that it just pulls you out, pulls you out of the smallness of our lives to what working towards something that's so much greater than us as humans, you know, and that's the privilege I've had for the last uh, quarter century, you know. Your foundation, what, what is the name of your foundation again? Brightest Stars, the Brightest Stars Foundation. And, and it really, that was my vision that, you know, that's it. it. It's that girls get to aspire to something bigger, that they see a, the greatness in themselves. Is it a US-based uh, uh, it's, international. It it's, it's international? It's global, it's global, it's global. And again, I started it because I realized there were no little ones like me in the pipeline. I was like, wait a second, there's something that I need to do. I'm obligated to do something because I'd got, I'd had so much success up to that point, you know? So, yeah. You, uh, based on the foundation and the people that you've met through it, um, are there, are there young Camille's in now working their way towards a career in uh, quite a few actually who have gone through school um there's this young woman who is still a a protege of mine she saw me speak in trinidad and she had always dreamt of space but never knew that she could there was anything that she could do and she heard my story and she ended up going to england and getting her her phd in working up to a phd in astrophysics Nice. And now she's a postdoc at Stanford. Like, come on. <laughs> like, That's a only great because journey. Because of that moment where she heard and met me and heard my story and stuff. And there are many examples of, of that where I've mentored and guided um, young women through there. Young men, too, actually. Young men reach out to me, too. And I don't turn them away, but you know, I'm focused on the girls. And, so, yeah. yeah, no, we'll put a link to your foundation also in the show notes and people can explore and see if they can support, you know? Thanks. Yeah. So what, um, what, what, else, what else do you want the listeners to know about your journey, about, you know, about things to look forward to from you, from NASA, from, you know, for the future, right? I mean, we want to hope, want to instill hope and, give inspiration and you know I, I would love people to go into 2021 and beyond and and think back to this conversation and be like you know what I'm, I'm gonna go for what my passion is yeah no I think so much of this year because it was so foreign to us I mean it's been a hundred years since there's been this kind of experience as humans um that we spent a lot of energy resisting what's actually happening instead of the perspective of, okay, this is where we are and we're nowhere else. And how can I make the best use of this time? Maybe there were things that I didn't get to do because life was so busy and I was so much in the rat race. And now because it's slowed down, I get a chance to pursue something that I gave up on, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what I want people to think about going into 2021. You know, that um, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. You don't get a second chance in this life. 
And to me, it's worth living if you are, you are going out there finding the things that you love, that passion inside of you, whatever that is, and really sharing that with the world. I always say that's how we illuminate the world is by sharing our gifts, you know, and that's what I want for everybody. No, I, I think that's a great message. And um, how, how can people follow you, how, you know, on social media? Oh, well, I'm, oh, I'm on every social media. <laughs> <laughs> IG, Twitter, Facebook, like you can find me. You can just Google, Google my name. You'll, you'll find me. Okay. LinkedIn. Well, I'll, I'll put some links on the show notes as well. So, you know, it will make it easier on people. Um, well, you know, time flew by. I mean, we, we've been talking almost two hours and 40 minutes and it doesn't seem like that. So I think this is a good, goodest place as any to wrap it, wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you on and for sharing your story and for, uh, on, on you know, behalf of the listeners, I, I'm sure we'd, they would want you to be on the podcast again sometime soon. So, you know, we'll try to make that happen. Um, but thank you, Dr. Camille Ayling. Uh, really appreciate uh, your, your insight. Thank you so much for having me, Falcon. It's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you the last couple of hours. And, and um, I really uh, look forward to actually things we could do in the future together. So thank you. Definitely. Okay, everyone, we're signing off.